Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett here with a few of my colleagues from Heartbeat International. We have Jessica Warner. She's on our communications and marketing team. And she was recently in an episode that was published uh, actually just a few weeks ago um, on politics and pregnancy help organizations. So it was fitting to bring her in yet again, but you can scroll back just a bit and find that episode. And then we have Leanna Bomber, who is a newer member of the Heartbeat team. She's with our mission and advancement team. Her background also includes uh, being the executive director at a pregnancy center in Virginia. So she has a lot of experience to bring to this conversation. And then we have another member of our Heartbeat team, Laura Current, um, who is, she works closely on our social media and marketing and also works closely with the executive team. We keep her busy here. Um, but outside of her work here at Heartbeat, she also has been working on the state level um, as we're seeing some interesting legislative things happening here in Ohio, which is where the office of Heartbeat International is located. Um, so we've been following some things in Ohio closely uh, as it relates to what's happening on a national level. We'll talk more about what that means. I'll let Laura explain uh, what some other states are, are looking towards the future and could possibly see as well. Um, and of course, our regular podcast listeners hear me talk about pregnancy help news quite often. Um, with November elections approaching, and in addition to the many things that are affecting the pregnancy help movement right now, it is one of the easiest ways to stay up to date on the news. You can actually get those articles sent directly to your inbox by a weekly digest, and that uh, is easy to sign up for. You can sign up at pregnancyhelpnews.com. I uh, really enjoy those weekly updates, not just for the political news, but for news about pregnancy help around the world. There are encouraging stories. There are client stories. There are um, the the news about um, you know a center expanding services, doing something unique, doing something new. Um, and it's a great way to, for everyone to stay in the loop. And you can sign up for those weekly updates at pregnancyhelpnews.com, and those are free. So why not take advantage of that resource? So let's get started with some background here. Laura, we will start with you. Uh, what is happening in Ohio and why are other states watching Ohio so closely right now? Yes. Well, hi, Christine. It's good to talk to you. Um, so what we started seeing here in Ohio and in other states and what we're seeing coming to other states here in the next year, couple years, really started with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which was a wonderful thing um, in, in so many different reasons. But what it did was it gave the power to decide abortion laws back to the states. And so many we saw right when that happened, many pro-life states um, immediately put legislation in, in place, whether it be the heartbeat bill or total ban while more pro-abortion states um, did the opposite and put more um, abortion laws into, into effect, um, incredibly extreme abortion laws. But then we start looking at states, um, the Midwest being a great example of many states this is going to happen to and is happening here in Ohio, that we're, we're more in the middle. And we can see that in our past uh, just election history of kind of being red versus blue. But looking at the life debate, um, because we're, we're a rural country count or a rural state, but with big big cities, um, we've really gone back and forth. So what makes Ohio so interesting and different from even other states that have passed pro-abortion laws is that we have a major re majority Republican House and Senate, along with a Republican governor. And so instead of big abortion led here in the state of Ohio by the ACLU, trying to go through our House and our Senate to get pro-abortion legislation passed, they've started a ballot initiative. And so this is very important to understand the difference and the significance of the difference between a ballot initiative that changes our constitution, our state constitution, versus a normal bill that will go through the House. 
So just a quick little recap. When a bill goes through the House into the Senate, it goes through committee hearings. Um, there's testimonies given by both sides and it's able to be vetted really, really well. Well, when these big abortion groups are going after a ballot initiative, um, they, they can create whatever language that they desire as a group. There's not this vetting process between legislators or other groups. Um, they have to get that language approved. But in the major in the in the reality is it can be very broad. And that's what we're seeing in Ohio. And so the way they get this passed is they have to get a certain amount of signatures, which they have started um, getting signatures, collecting signatures back in January of this year, January 2023, for the November 2023 election. They were able to get, um, I believe, correct me, um, Jessica, if this is wrong, uh, 300,000 signatures around yes, that I think number. That's correct. Yeah. And so they were able to achieve that. So that means that it directly goes on to the ballot in November. So it doesn't have to go through the House and the Senate in order to be voted on. It goes into the ballot directly. And so what that needs to be passed then is a 50% plus one majority, um, which is, it sounds, um, when you're thinking about majority rules, that sounds um, fairly uh fair, I would say, but that's actually an extreme, um, extremely low percentage needed to get. I mean, there's only a few states that even allow this type of constitutional amendment. Um, and most of the states that do allow it um, are have a 60%. I mean, even pro majorly pro-abortion states like California have 60%. So the fact that Ohio is only 50 plus one um, creates a real big barrier um, in our state and then in other Midwestern states that, that do allow for this. And so again, the reason that this is so um, detrimental is because um, without going through the House and the Senate, it creates a real block that if this does get passed with that 50 plus one percentage, um, any kind of changes needed made to that constitutional amendment is going to be incredibly difficult to do yeah. because it goes straight to the Constitution versus um, through the legislative process. And yeah. we see with the language that um, we're seeing on this initiative and States following, there's um, projected between six and 11 states in 2020, 2024 that big abortion is going after. And they are basing their game plan off of what happens here in Ohio. And so the language that we've seen on this particular initiative, it's not just about abortion um, up to a certain amount of time. I mean, abortion is already legal in Ohio up to 22 weeks, which is incredibly far along, but they have made it um, abortion legal. What they're trying to do in this initiative is abortion legal through all nine months of pregnancy with no kind of restrictions. And here's the thing with incredibly broad language without any restrictions on age or parental consent. So even looking at Roe versus Wade, these kinds of constitutional amendments go so much further and are so much more dangerous because of the language that they use and because of the process that they're using. However, we have seen in other states back in 2022, um, shortly after Dobbs, big abortion has been successful in this kind of um, uh, strategy. And it's because we weren't ready for it. It's a new kind of thing. I mean, constitutional amendments through a ballot initiative is not highly seen, but I'm telling this is what's going to be happening in states, not just in Ohio, but across the Midwest and across the country, um, unless we are able to kind of fight back and prepare in ways to, to battle this new strategy, this new extreme strategy by big abortion. Yeah. You know, it, it does feel like it's happened so fast. It feels like just yesterday Dobbs happened. Roe was overturned. Now that was a year ago, but this this was quick. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, Ohio saw this and other states are seeing things like this. So I don't know if that 
really took us by surprise. I, I think what you alluded to is that it was kind of surprising, like, okay, Rose overturned, what should we be doing? So this is Ohio exactly. saying, watch out. And, and that's the reality is, is, I mean, it is appropriate to celebrate Roe v. Wade. And that's what we really did was we were like, okay, we, we've won a battle. We haven't won the war, but we've won a battle. And this is kind of our reality check of, okay, the fight's still going. Like, yes, celebrate in what we're able to accomplish, but you saw a big abortion turned and the next day jumped on this fight too. And so we kind of can't let that celebration um, hinder us from engaging in the fight continuing forward. Yeah. And Jessica, I know you've been involved too in, on the state level. Yeah. So and I think what we've seen from like neighboring states here in Ohio, we've seen in Michigan um, last year was one of the states that had this ballot initiative, a similar ballot, ballot initiative or constitutional amendment happen. And these things are costly. They're really difficult to get passed to begin with. Um, costly, I should say, passed to begin with. But it was over $60 million was spent um, in their a campaign to pass that 40 plus million on the pro-abortion side and 20 plus million on the pro-life side. Um, so these are things that can just be run year after year, but they found that this is a way to get an end run around these pro-life states by writing these very broad constitutional amendments that sound really nice because they talk a lot about freedom and reproductive health, reproductive health and you being without able to ever with- defining what that is. Yeah. And so we know that with those things, like even in the Ohio amendment, uh, there's language specifically saying, oh, you know, this is only allowing abortion up till viability, but it allows for a health of the mother exception, which is essentially an exception that physicians can use to say for any reason, the woman, like maybe mental health reasons, this woman's going to be able to get an abortion. Um, so they're really broad and, and allowing them to just quickly remove all of the different progress. But we're seeing states like even South Dakota uh, potentially having this amendment next year, states that you would typically consider very pro-life um, that are going to have a real fight on their hands because people don't fully understand what they're voting on a lot of times. So that's why we really need to be educating and activating those in our orbits to be able to be uh, speaking up and and helping other people understand what these what, what's really at stake. I know Leanna has a lot of experience with that. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like I know in the pregnancy help world, we talk about David and Goliath a lot. Sometimes we feel mm-hmm. like, oh, our funding funding is always difficult, right? For nonprofits. and But then big abortion comes in and there's all this money. And so we're up against $60 million. That seems very overwhelming. But of course, we are here to be encouraged because as Christians, we know that God is on our side and we want life to win. Uh, so Leanna, you have some experience as a director. You have some state coalition experience. And um, so I know your involvement, this has been important to you. So tell us about what you have done and what other organizations can look towards doing to support life in their state. Yeah, thanks, Christine. And, and, you know, as I was listening to Laura and Jessica share more about what's going on in Ohio specifically, um, I think one of the things we can acknowledge, even in the midst of the challenge that these ballot initiatives and legislative fights are, is that we also have a tremendous opportunity to engage the conversation surrounding um, these public debates of what access to abortion should look like and what limits, if any, should be imposed. Um, We have an opportunity to lean into that conversation with our unique perspective 
perspective on the holistic well-being of women and families. And I think, you know, as we start to look at our local centers and what does that engagement look like, uh, you know, we can first recognize that the families we're serving are actually hearing these same political messages, right? Um, They're encountering the commercials and the digital streaming ads and seeing the same yard signs that you and I are seeing. And so they may be coming into our centers and our clinics with questions and confusion and uncertainties um, on these same subjects. And so that does create an opportunity for us to, uh, in our centers, make sure we're educated about uh, what might be changing in our states, uh, make sure our staff is educated, those who are answering the phone and may be hearing questions from women and men who are suddenly wondering, wow, how is my potential abortion decision or my pregnancy decision being impacted by this very public and often very contentious debate? Um, So I think we can start there, you know, equipping internally in our centers, our staff and our volunteers with the lay of the land and helping them see that uh, it, we don't have to be scared of this, but we can see this as an opportunity to meet our, our patients and our clients where they're at and help them see that this is a debate because there is an impact to abortion in the lives of women and men and families. And that's why this is a robust public conversation because the stakes are high. Um, and to help ask them um, those questions, how, how have they thought about the impact of abortion in their own life? So we can start at a really micro level, you know, in our own centers. Um, Um, How does this shape our counseling conversation? How does this shape our conversation on the phone with callers? Um, But beyond that, as, as you've alluded to, Christine, I think we do have opportunity as centers, as uh, pregnancy help organizations to recognize that we have a really unique and powerful perspective to share on the well-being of families. And that's something that is valuable to public officials and those who are going to be discussing these issues in our broader communities, in our legislatures, in our states. Um, They need our perspective because we're the ones who, uh, as part of the, the grassroots army of pregnancy help organization foot soldiers um, have been in the trenches serving women and men for decades. Uh, We know what often the structural barriers in programs and in our communities are to making parenting an easier decision for families. Uh, We understand the relationship needs of women who are making pregnancy decisions alone. Um, So we we have a valuable perspective to share. And I think uh, we need to remind ourselves of that, that we um, have something of value to offer in this conversation. And So I think that helps us uh, lean into this conversation and not tune it out, uh, recognizing that we have something valuable to share. And uh, state coalitions can be a really powerful way um, to pool that perspective across your state uh, and bring that perspective to bear, certainly in in the legislative context, but also in uh, regional engagement as well. And uh, in the state that I led a center in for a number of years, uh, we had a, a robust state coalition that included about 35 centers. And this state coalition allowed us to um, develop uh, messaging points, to develop strategy uh, for engaging, sometimes publicly, sometimes behind the scenes, uh, for tracking issues as they popped up in our state, uh, and for making sure that our story of pregnancy help was being told on our terms. Uh, When we're talking about helping women and helping those who are facing the unexpected, uh, we want to make sure that our voice is is being heard, uh, telling that story of what we do. 
day in and day out. Um, so, I, you know, I think we can start there with some of those um, just important recognitions that uh, we have opportunities in the center during seasons like this. We have a powerful perspective we need to share and articulate. Um, and that I would say, lastly, we, we have the permission and the power to engage in advocacy, even as 501c3 organizations. And I know Jessica has some more practical tools she can share that, that Heartbeat has to offer centers who are looking at how they want to engage and what that looks like in terms of the mechanics at your local center. Um, but we have permission as 501c3s to um, share our perspective about what policymaking may help or harm women and families in our community. Um, now we've got to steer clear of, of direct campaigning and endorsement of candidates to satisfy IRS rules, um, but we have the ability to um, communicate with lawmakers about the issues that are important in, in our community. And we have the um, freedom to communicate with our stakeholders about how proposed policymaking may impact um, our constituents and those patients and families that we're serving. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think just re-going re back to that fact that you guys as executive directors or as, you know, people working in pregnancy help have such a unique perspective and direct contact with the people that these laws would directly impact on a daily basis. And um, this is a time where you get to share that um, and, and have that real story of how abortion isn't helpful to these women. And in fact, it's hurting these women and how these laws enshrining abortion in state constitutions will hurt them, not only them, but also obviously their unborn children. Um, it's such a good point, Leanna. And I think something that we should, uh, I just, you know, we, we say all the time, you are the expert, um, when you are in pregnancy help working on the front lines, you are the expert. And that's why you, it's so valuable for you to speak up. Yeah. And I can throw out a couple practical examples of things we did, even in the context of the center I led and the yeah. state coalition, I helped coordinate um, during a, a, a governor's race uh, in our state. Um, I was aware that one of the leading parties candidate was um, saying some things publicly that weren't really accurate about the needs of pregnant women. And this was a candidate who professed to be pro-life, but clearly didn't have a solid uh, grasp of some of the needs of pregnant women who didn't have relational support to continue that pregnancy. And so I reached out to that campaign and um, invited them to come learn more about pregnancy help organizations in our community. And uh, we did this, um, you know, not with a lot of publicity um, per their request, but as a way to educate both that candidate and their campaign staff uh, about, you know, a more realistic picture of the needs that women encounter and how local nonprofit organizations have been meeting those needs for decades uh, without taxpayer funding um, and serving our community well. And that was a really positive event because it gave that candidate the ability to ask questions off the record and to learn more um, and to reconsider how they were talking about the needs of women. Uh, and it also gave them the ability to tell the story of what organizations like ours were doing across the state. Um, and that when they said they supported life and families, um, they also believed in the work that we were doing. So engaging in these these larger public debates um, doesn't mean that you're hosting a political rally at your center. It could be really simple things like engaging behind the scenes to make sure that those who are talking about what you are doing are doing so from a, a perspective of knowledge and um, understanding about the work you do every day. 
Um, you know, another example, um, the center I led was was in a community that was actually very hostile to what we did um, from a political perspective. And so most of our state uh, representation um, was actually not necessarily uh, enthusiastic about what we did. And yet, even with those leaders, we found we had opportunities to confound their understanding of who we were and what we did by talking about uh, the constituencies we were serving, the we served a very large refugee and asylum seeking population that had often overwhelming needs as they came to our community. Um, we were helping in really practical ways with accessing um, you know, key programs like Medicaid um, or other state benefit programs that um, our particular political leaders had a lot of interest in. Uh, and so when we were able to talk about those things and talk about how we were serving communities uh, with really distinct needs um, from a perspective of, of compassion and care and love and kindness, it really confounded their understanding of who we were and what we were about. Um, and so anytime we can tell that fuller story or paint that picture, uh, we often can earn uh, more of a right to be heard, even with uh, officials that may or may not be on board with our larger mission. So that's a really great point, Leanna. Um, you know, I was thinking as you were talking about the confusion early on in uh, when you started explaining some of your experience. And you talked about how like these clients are the people who are, have been in your com community and are seeing the TV commercials and the ads and the yard signs. And they're like, I don't know, these, they're talking about freedom, reproductive freedom. They're talking about women's health. Like women's health is absolutely important. And there's so much confusion. Um, and so a big piece of this is just getting the truth out and just talking, speaking truth and talking about what's really at stake here. Um, and, and sometimes I think pregnancy centers, you can feel kind of alone in that because you just feel like, a small voice in this big crowd. Um, but I, I really think that there are people in the community too, who are willing to help. I know those relationships with like churches already exist a lot of times and, and, you know, they're the ones that do the baby bottle campaigns and things with you. And maybe they would be interested in putting a flyer in their bulletin or having a flyer out in church somewhere, or even this would be awesome to have the pastor talking about it during the church service. Like let's, if he's willing to uh, just mention it, you know, direct to some resources or talk about the great work of pregnancy help just to help advance the truth about what everyone's doing. So finding those people within your own community that can help you so that it, it isn't just your voice. It's a collective group of voices that are speaking truth. And those are trusted voices within the community because they know the work that you do. Um, so I'm sure Leanna, you have some experience too, with just those connections with churches. Yeah, and I, I think that broader uh, community narrative is going to be really important, right? And so uh, state family policy councils, um, which I know Jessica will mention a, a website that Heartbeat has that will point you to your local state family policy council if you don't already know what that group is. But, you know, often these groups are publishing resources and equipping uh, pastors and churches and organizations in the uh, state that you're in on, on these very issues. So, um, you know, our state pregnancy center coalition also published an annual impact report showing, um, the, the dollar value, um, of millions of dollars of free services that our organizations were providing our communities and our state. And, uh, these are powerful messaging tools that we can use to tell that broader story. Um, certainly churches can be part of that as well. And, um, we want to make sure that those who are, 
our organization's biggest stakeholders also have that clear understanding of what we do so that uh, when they're hearing those narratives of, uh, oh, these are fake clinics that manipulate women, that they can speak to, well, no, I've actually been on site and I have toured that clinic and I know the medical director and I have confidence in the services they provide because 99% of their patients say they would recommend the care they've received there, right? So we got to make sure our stakeholders know who we are, that they've been on site, um, that they're equipped to also help us tell that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great points. Thank you. So Jessica, we have, we've mentioned some of the things involved in this webpage that you've worked so hard to put together uh, just recently. I know you sent me the link when it was finished and I was so excited. I looked through it and I learned a lot and I thought I had been following this closely. So there is a wealth of information on there. Let's talk about what is on this webpage, how people can access it and um, anything else, how they can maximize their use of what's available to them. Absolutely. Yeah. So with this upcoming election, obviously Ohio's being the featured one this November, but we see this strategy unfolding throughout the nation of ballot initiatives, constitutional amendments. Um, obviously next year, there's going to be so much more on the ballot. Um, and so just in advance of that, we need to be educating ourselves and our supporters. So we wanted to put this resource together for you so that you are best equipped on how you're able to do that. Um, and um, hopefully some talking points or some information on how to communicate uh, about this issue. So first of all, we have um, just a few different pages kind of assembled. Um, one of them kind of some broad information about um, getting out the vote and, and how important it is this November. And, and next year as well. Then we also have um, information on just um, strategy and action steps for what you can do. So just to talk a little bit about that, Leanna's already kind of covered a couple of these things, but at the top, we talk about what you are and are not allowed to do as a 501c3. I think a lot of times in the nonprofit world, we're told don't touch politics, don't come anywhere close to it etc. And that's not true. Um, There's definitely some things that we need to be aware of and things that you aren't allowed to do, but there's a lot of freedom in engaging. And there's a lot of creative ways that you can do that that are perfectly legal that honestly, you're encouraged to do. Um, And so we have some talking points or some guidelines on that. But uh, specifically on the ballot initiative constitutional amendment area, you as a nonprofit are allowed to speak up on policy issues like that and whether or not you support or oppose those issues. Um, You're not allowed to, as Leanna said, endorse a candidate or things along those lines. But with constitutional amendments, there's no candidate to be endorsed. And so you're allowed to speak up in any way you would like to do. There is some restrictions on it being a quote unquote insubstantial amount of your um, overall budgets of what you do. And that's generally assumed to be about 10, 5 to 15% of the work that you do. There's no direct um, number that the IRS, IRS lists, but uh, that is kind of the assumed uh, guidelines of, of the percentage of what an insubstantial amount would mean. So some basic things that you can do, uh, of course, make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure the people coming through your doors are registered to vote. Make sure that your supporters and stakeholders are registered to vote. It is always shocking to me every year when we get statistics about voter registration numbers and um, population numbers in our states of how few people are registered to vote and how few people actually vote every year. So um, you may think that, no, they, they're all politically engaged. Everyone that we talk to knows what to do. Don't make that assumption. Make sure they're registered to vote. 
Also important is to check your voting deadlines. As absentee voting is more and more prevalent, um, it is really important that you know when your early voting and absentee voting deadlines are. Here in Ohio, there's 28 days of early voting ahead of the election. And so um, you don't know when the people you're talking to are going to vote. And so make sure you get to talk to them early before those uh, polls open. Um, as Leanna mentioned, joining and coming alongside your state coalition of pregnancy help. That is such a benefit to you. Um, if your state doesn't have one, please uh, work to create one. Um, and I know that we would be more than willing to help you do that. Um, that is something that's so vital to come alongside like-minded groups, um, especially when there's attacks along these lines happening in your state. And of course, also, as she mentioned, we have a, a tool here that you can go and find your local family research council or right to life group. They're going to have talking points and information on what's happening in your state and when those deadlines and things are coming up. They're a valuable resource to you. And of course, educate your supporters. As I mentioned before, you may think that they're fully engaged, understand what the constitutional amendment will do and why they should vote a certain way on it. But so often people aren't engaged on these issues. It's easy to get burnt out listening to this. And these supporters of yours are clearly engaged and um, invested in what you're doing. And they trust you as an organization and your opinions of what's happening and how it impacts the women that you serve. Um, so take some time to educate them. That is something you are very much allowed to do uh, about what these things are happening and how they directly impact the work that you do every day, because obviously these things will impact you. Um, so those are some just general, there's a lot more details on the webpage. We have also a resource listing all of the different state amendments that are either on the ballot or are coming up. Um, so you can find more details about them and we will be updating those pages as those uh, deadlines come up and as you know, as, uh, signatures are submitted and things along those lines with details so you understand what exactly is happening and in which states they're happening. And finally, I have um, an article there um, just kind of going over in depth what this strategy is and why states kind of encapsulating what Laura said earlier about why uh, the ACLU and Planned Parenthood and other big abortion are choosing these kinds of strategies um, to try to enshrine abortion in our state constitutions um, and why we need to be engaged on this issue. Um, even if we think we live in a very pro-life state, this is a strategy that unfortunately um has the ability to make an impact. And so we need to be aware and we need to be protecting our constitutions. I love what Leanna pointed out about centers and I mean, centers and churches and other community groups, but specifically centers and center directors. You are the ones talking to the target demographic that these type of ballot initiatives are coming after and being in the pregnancy help area. I mean, you are the people who know that big abortion is lying. You are all that know that big abortion um, is not about women, is not about health care. And we're seeing that very clearly in these type of ballot initiatives. And so I, I can understand the awkwardness that Leanna talked about, like how, how should, how much should a center get involved or what Jessica just said, like, it is really easy to get burnt out on these types of issues, but this is my two cents of urgency is, I mean, 
big abortions coming after your girls and they're lying. I mean, with the type of language that they're using, that's very broad and misleading. Even people who are paying attention are getting lied to. And so um, this is an incredible opportunity, like Leanna said, for centers to directly get involved and say, we do care about women. We do care about the unborn child. And that's why we take this stance and we're going to stand behind it because we care. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You know, we covered a lot of things and it can feel a a bit overwhelming to think about what you might be up against, but I just hope our listeners are really encouraged by this to know that the resources are out there. The help is out there. Um, Heartbeat is here to support you. We're praying for you every day. So I just hope that you are encouraged and, uh, you know, are taking that time to take care of yourself in the midst of all of this, take time to pray each day, pray over your team, put on the full armor of God, just cover your organization in prayer, cover your state in prayer. And we are praying with you at heartbeat. We gather each morning to pray every single day. And we pray for, uh, our friends in the pro-life movement who are on the ground working hard each day to, to really protect, uh, these women and these families. So thank you to everything that you guys are doing as listeners, as supporters, even if, as people who just want to stay updated on the pregnancy help movement. Getting the truth out there is so important. And uh, that's one of my favorite things to talk about is the pregnancy help movement, because I love what is happening. I love the client stories. Keep telling those stories um, and keep doing the work that you're doing. So I will include links to um, the number one link will definitely be that get out the vote page, um, set of pages really that Jessica and her team has been working on. It's such a valuable resource. So I encourage you to check that out, read through it, contact heartbeat if you have any questions. And, um, of course, subscribe to this podcast because we will keep you informed on what's happening and, uh, new ideas, new thoughts, new ways that you guys, um, can be, can be working within your state and within this country as we uh, continue the fight for life. So thanks for all you do. And thanks for listening to this episode of the pregnancy help podcast.